ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Good afternoon, I'm Selena Green. Coming up, well, there's potential for us to be sending a lot more Australian wool into India. And in this half an hour, we'll also pay tribute to the late Max Peake. Max was a long-time livestock reporter who has passed away at the age of 96. When Max spoke, people stopped and they listened because he was fiercely independent and always determined to give people the truth about what was happening at livestock markets with any report he did. And maybe you'd like to add your own tributes today. You can do that on my talkback number, 1300 or text 0467-922-891. But first today, Australia's ag production is expected to fall back a massive $16 billion this financial year, with dry conditions and poor livestock prices taking their toll. But production is still tipped to come in at around $78 billion. That's the third highest figure on record. Angus Burley spoke with David Galliano. He's the Acting Executive Director of ABES. So really the, the story is uh, dry conditions and, and lower commodity prices mean that the value of agriculture will fall to about $78 billion in 23-24. And that's compared to a revised figure of about $94 billion year before so about 16 million dollars down okay so a substantial fall but but coming off a record high yeah that's exactly right so the 78 billion is still uh, up there in terms of uh records but it is down from the, the recent highs and, and look it's it's across the board in terms of crops and livestock it's not just a story about uh, one or the other so uh, about a 12 billion dollar reduction in the value of crops and about a 4 billion uh reduction in the value of livestock and of course, there is this push from from ag <clears throat> lobby groups, government, etc., to to achieve one hundred billion dollars in ag production. But I suppose, as you said, with climate challenges this season, it highlights that uh, farmers can do the best they possibly can. But at the end of the day, climate is a, a big factor in terms of of ag the value of ag production. Yeah, look, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's agriculture is one of those sectors that goes up and down with, uh, with the weather. So really that $100 billion target uh, is more of a longer-term trend-type objective. Uh, it, it's going to be nearly impossible to make $100 billion every year because uh, we are at the mercy of the seasonal conditions in every year. Now, winter crop production obviously uh, plays a big part in overall production and that, I think, across the board fell by about a third, but quite a variance in terms of geography. Yeah, so as normal, there's a bit of a mixed story there. So places like Victoria fared uh, much better than others. There's some very timely rain down that part of the world uh, through sort of October. Uh, but in the northern, more northern parts, uh, dry conditions have had a bigger impact and similar over in the west. We're expecting across both winter crop and summer crop for 23, 24 Total value down by about 20% to about $46 billion. Uh, and that's you know, largely driven by reductions in, in wheat and canola. They're about $10 billion, those two together. 
and uh, Victoria really really the bright spot in terms of production? Yeah, so in terms of production for Victoria, we, we are projecting uh, for winter crop production, that is, uh, down to about 9.6, or, sorry, 9,600 uh, kilotons, uh, and that's down from about 11,000 last year. But to put it in context, that 9,600 kilotons is still about 30% above the 10-year average. So yes, it has come down, but uh, in Victoria, still looking pretty good overall. Although the recent rain, I probably should say, has probably delayed harvest a little bit, and there's likely to be some you know quality downgrades uh, in some places that might put a dent in that. And as you mentioned, in terms of winter crop, pretty tough in in parts of Queensland, WA, SA and, and northern New South Wales. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's uh, falls are really across the board. If if I go to some other states, uh, you know, a lot of the the reductions. So winter winter crop production in Western Australia, uh, depending on what we're talking about, whether it's wheat or barley or canola, we're we're projecting reductions of uh, you know sort of 30, 40, 50 percent, uh, and a similar story in in some other places. South Australia is down in the order of about 30 percent. New South Wales, we're down in the order of about 30 percent for winter crops. So yeah, certainly we're seeing those seasonal conditions bite more in uh, some of those other states. We've been talking about production, but this this is a report on, on value. And, and the other part of, of that is that uh, the, the price that farmers are receiving. And uh, for most commodities, and as you mentioned earlier, particularly livestock, that's where there has been a, a big hit. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, there are there are some reductions for crops, but nowhere near uh, what we're seeing for livestock. So your world supply of uh, crops probably rebounding a little bit. So we're seeing some prices soften a little bit, but really the, the big falls have been in uh, livestock as the you know the dry conditions have, have taken effect and, and farmers are destocking. So that increased supply and less restock of demand has put a, put a bit of a dent in livestock prices. Although again, the, the rain the last couple of weeks has, in the east anyway, has certainly um, seen pasture growth prospects improve. So we have, have actually seen those livestock prices rebound quite a bit in the last few weeks, which is uh, good news for farmers. David Galliano there, Acting Executive Director of ABES, and he was speaking with Angus Furley. Well, India is already the second largest buyer of Australian wool, but wool producers Australia wants to build on that. Wool producer CEO Joe Hall has visited India this year, looking at ways of building relationships between the Australian wool industry and India's huge textile industry. Ms Hall says the potential demand for increase is huge, particularly with the introduction of the Australia-India Economic Cooperation and Trade Agreement. We first went over in March this year as part of a a broader Australian wool delegation to meet with the Ministry of Textiles in Delhi and that culminated in a a roundtable of fruitful discussions and from there we we found that there's a number of shared interests and and mutually beneficial areas that our industry and and the Indian textile industry can focus on, such as sustainability and and also growing the demand for woolen products. And then recently I attended Delhi again in in late October, which is a lot of this was focused around uh, Wool Producers Australia early stage processing and and looking at diversification of early-stage wool processing. So we did spend quite a bit of time talking about that, and we have engaged Deloitte Access Economics to undertake that study. Uh, So it was sort of a fact-finding for Deloitte and and also another opportunity for us to meet with India and talk about those uh, shared 
areas of focus. Since then, we've had a huge delegation from India come over to Melbourne to attend the Global Sourcing Expo in late November. And we had another roundtable with Indian government and industry representatives. So again, it's just that relationship building phase. Uh, We can see a lot of potential there. And We've also, this comes in light of the signing of the Australian-India Economic Cooperation and Trade Agreement uh, at the end of last year, or the ECTA as it's known. And what was exciting for the wool industry under that was the removal of tariffs of greasy wool into India. So there's lots of things up in the air at the moment, and I guess we're just investigating these relationships and, and hopefully... You know, uh, at some stage in the future, we'll, we'll start seeing some tangible benefits arrive from this relationship. How much Australian wool currently goes to India? So, in the last financial year, there was uh, 14 million kilos, which was up from 11 million kilos the year before. And it's important to note with that that increase that the ECTA had only been in place for the last six months of that financial year. So, that's an encouraging sign itself. So where does that put India in terms of buyers of Australian wool when it comes to you know uh, purchases? So India is the second largest single country buyer of wool. Obviously, China is the dominant market for Australian wool. And, and just on that point, it's really important to note that any of this investigative work that we're doing and in terms of looking at diversifying our market is complementary to our existing trade patterns of China and Australia in terms of the wool industry, have a, a great relationship and, and China will always be important to our industry. But this is looking at, you know, building demand from, from other sectors. Can you see India getting up to China's purchasing uh, demand? Yeah, I wouldn't even speculate. I mean, at this stage, we're just very much having these uh conversations and as I said they are the second largest buyer but we're looking at the potential to expand that relationship. Why is it so important to have these uh, connections and going there face to face and and meeting with Indian delegates and and them coming to Australia as well? I think in terms of you know any business or bilateral relations that opportunity to have that face time and and actually build personal relationships uh, is so important and It's something that I don't think we had planned at the start of the year that we would have two trips to India and and certainly not have the uh, Indian delegation come to Australia. But, I mean, I think it shows the uh, level of willingness of both sides to to investigate this. And they've invited Australia back as well in in 2024. Yeah, and um, they have a large textile expo in February. I think it's the Barat text, so... Um, at this stage, we we haven't made any concrete plans to attend, but it's we've only just found out about it in the last couple of weeks. So we will uh, look to do that. And, 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 and if wool producers don't attend, there is very well the chance that other Australian industry uh, bodies may be in attendance there as well. And how are wool producers feeling about this uh, potential expansion of the relationship with India? Look, it's um, good to have the conversations and... You know, we're cautiously optimistic, I think. I think there's, as I said earlier, that the opportunities to explore the the shared areas of interest and, and one of the things under the ECTA 
is that this is a cooperative agreement. So India have made it clear that they are looking for assistance, I guess, in service transfers, particularly around uh, training, around shearing and, and wool classing. So that's something that the Australian industry can consider. And, you know, we're looking at this as a mutually beneficial arrangement. So there's opportunities there to teach what you know is done here in Australia when it comes to, to shearing and wool classing. Yes, definitely. And I mean, in terms of uh, reciprocal arrangements, we went through a, a severe shearer shortage during COVID, and you know, following on from the opening up of borders after that, and. It could very well culminate at some stage in the future that if there is a trained, skilled workforce uh, in India, well, you know, they they may be able to come and do seasonal work in Australia. And, and, you know, it's that partnership approach where their domestic trade gets upskilled and and we have a a pool of workers that we could call on if needed. And are there other markets as well, Joe Hall, that uh, that Wool Producers Australia are working on at the moment? So going back to the ATMAC project that we're looking at, uh, diversification for early stage processing and uh, the feasibility of domestic processing, we're in our second phase of that report now and the first phase of that report found that along with India, Vietnam and Bangladesh also showed a lot of promise. So we are also spending time investigating that. I I did, while I was in India, I took the opportunity to go to Bangladesh and meet with industry and government officials there. And that's very much uh, the start of a conversation with the Bangladesh textiles uh, industry. They're they're not a big user of wool at the moment, but again, the potential uh, in sort of more medium to longer term is certainly worth looking into. In Vietnam, we're seeing a lot of good stuff happening there at the moment and we were also, wool producers were uh, the recipient of a a grant from DFAT and the Australian Vietnamese Chamber of Commerce earlier in this year, which meant that we could put an in-country resource in Vietnam to work on those relationships in a policy sense and also work closely with Woolmark employees based in Vietnam to explore potential opportunities in, in Vietnam. That is Wool Producers CEO Joe Hall speaking there with Brooke Nindorf. You're listening to Selena Green on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Right now, it's 18 minutes past 12. Well, market reporters on the country hour, they do a fantastic job for us week in, week out, bringing you the latest from the livestock markets. And one name you might recognise and who reported for the country hour for decades was Max Peak. We have sadly learnt that Max passed away last week at the age of 96. Well, President of Rural Media and Communicators South Australia and NT and former National Head of ABC Rural, Lee Radford, worked with Max for many, many years and reflected with Brooke Nindorf about his relationship with Max. Brooke, I met Max when I was a very young reporter, almost at the very beginning of my career. And at that stage, he'd he'd already been reporting on livestock markets for many years. uh, And he continued to do that really throughout the majority of my career with the ABC, which gives you an idea of just how long Max Peake was around and just how long Max Peake's voice was a regular voice on the country hour, twice a week doing reports from Jeps Cross. And um, when Max spoke, people stopped and they listened, Brooke, because he was fiercely independent and always determined to give people the truth about what was happening at livestock markets with any report he did. And 
I've got to say, that wasn't always the case with market reports. Max was a man of integrity. Integrity. He was an absolute legend. It was more than just numbers and prices with Max. Yes. And look, Max always had insight into these things too, Brooke, because uh, he talked to people at the market. He got the inside story, if I can put it that way. And he, he knew all of the key operators in the market well. Um, he often knew what they were up to or potentially what they were planning and how that might influence prices. And he also had a lot of intelligence that he gathered from further afield too about where livestock were, were coming from. You know, what were some of the drivers of, of livestock movements from uh, different parts of the state, even the Northern Territory or interstate, into South Australia, and then what that might mean for the market here. So uh, I've got to say, while he was very quietly spoken, Max was a really cluey individual. And man, what he didn't know about livestock prices and what was the story behind the story, no one knew. Was he recognised amongst listeners uh, almost as much as the, the country our presenter? Yes, look, it's funny like that, Brooke. I think it's, it's one of those cases where um, two factors in play. One is longevity. If anyone who is, is around for a long time gets to be known, you, 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 you just can't help that as a listener. You, get, you feel like you get to know the person. So... With Max being around for literally decades, the best part of four decades, I think, um, you can't help but form that association. But the, the other thing is, what is that person like? How do they sound? What do they actually say? What sort of information do they impart to you as a listener? And again, that's where Max really, you know, gave it in spades because it was good, quality, reliable information that people trusted and they trusted the familiarity of, of his voice and they trusted his integrity. So, yeah, I think a lot of people really held Max in, in high esteem. And when you were with uh, ABC Rural, Lee Radford, you, you fought to keep Max uh, on the radio. Yes, look, it was a fun, funny uh, side story there, Brooke. When I was National Head of ABC Rural, uh, the National Livestock Reporting Service were really um, looking to take over market reporting for the ABC across the board. And that was something that I negotiated with them at the time. Uh, one of the sticking points, though, was when we came to look at South Australia in these negotiations, they wanted to replace Max Peak, of course. And I said, no, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm prepared to negotiate on lots of things, but Max Peak will be doing that job until Max Peak decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's off the table. And Max continued um, to do that for uh, quite a few years after that point in time until he did reach that point, Brooke, where he decided, look, you know, maybe enough is enough and it's time to go off and enjoy greener pastures, and, uh, which he ultimately did. And he, he, he had a long, happy, productive life. And uh, all I can say, Brooke Nindorf, is Max Peak, thank you for everything. Vale, Max. That is Lee Radford there, the President of Rural Media and Communicators, South Australia and Northern Territory. He's also the former National Head of ABC Rural and he was speaking there to Brooke Nindorf about the recent passing of former Country Hour market reporter Max Peake OAM who passed away last week at the age of 96. It is just coming on to 24 minutes past 12 here on the Country Hour today and you're with Selena Green. So let's head off to the Weather Bureau now and our forecaster at the Bureau today is Jenny Horvat. Hello, Jenny. 
Good afternoon, Selena. Another warm one for South Australia today. Yeah, look for parts a little bit milder in the south. We've had a trough move through, but still seeing some very hot temperatures across the north of the state, which will persist until um, the end of the week. So we do have a heat wave warning current for parts of the state. So we've got that extreme heat wave warning for parts of the northwest pastoral district, as well as severe heat wave warning for parts of the Riverland, Mid-North, Flinders, West Coast, Eastern Air Peninsula and the Northeast Pastoral District. So, yeah, we did see temperatures pushing into the mid 40s yesterday, and again, we are expecting to see those temperatures across the across the state again for today and just having a bit of a look at some of those temperatures at the moment already into the low 40s there. Mari up around nearly 43 degrees, Roxby Downs 42, Moomba also 40, Woomera also 42 Unadatta 42 as well. So that heat is very present and um, we are going to continue to see those um, ex- um, those very hot temperatures continuing, especially across northern parts of the state, pretty much for the remainder of the week. It will take a, a bit of a cool change moving through um, on the weekend that will push those very hot temperatures to the northeast and things settling down for next week. So, um, yeah, just be mindful with those heats. Check in on your, on your neighbours um, and just make sure that you're trying to stay cool um, all the usual tips, you know, close your windows, draw the blinds um, early in the day to try and keep your heat, heat out. I guess with those temperatures, it's very hard to, to keep out, especially with the hot minimums mm. and not really seeing that relief. So, yeah, seek relief where you can, I think, and especially because we've come out of a bit of a milder spell as well. It's probably going to feel a bit hotter than, than expected. So, um, yes. That heat is continuing. Um, further south, though, we are in a bit of a, a milder airstream. We've got a lot of um, high cloud that's been drifting across. We've seen the odd light spot out of that, but nothing too significant. Um, haven't had any gauges, and we're not expecting to see any significant rainfall within that cloud band further south. Could see a little bit of thunderstorm developing across our WA border this afternoon into the evening. Not going to extend too far inland into our state, but nevertheless, we could see some of that activity out there later today. Still got that trough lingering around on Wednesday, so still maintaining some of that higher cloud across the southern part. So um, still remaining relatively dry, but we could be still seeing um, some isolated light shower activity across the far south of the state on Wednesday and to a lesser extent on the Thursday. And with our thunderstorm still around on Wednesday and Thursday, maybe on um, Wednesday developing across the south, far south of the pastoral districts and adjacent parts of the Flinders and mid-north districts. And then on Thursday... Again, um, in the far northwest and maybe the far south of the northeast pastoral districts, possibly pushing into the the Flinders and the mid-north through there. But as we head into Friday and the later part of the... um, weekend things are getting a little bit interesting so we've still got that surface trough that's lingering but then we've got this upper trough that comes across and we'll start to see some interaction with that so a better chance to see some um, showers around and then we've got that southerly change that will be extending from the west and south on the Friday pushing slowly um, inlands on the weekend and bringing that relief um, further north to the the temperatures by early next week but associated um, with these systems we are looking at a low pressure system developing for early 
early next week. Um, but ahead of that, as we head into Friday, we see the chance of those showers um, starting to extend more broadly across the across the state. Maybe not reaching the the northeast. And on Saturday, again, still seeing broad areas of shower activity and thunderstorm activity on both Friday. And Saturday is starting to contract to the northeast there on the Sunday, but potentially looking in parts at having quite a bit of a, a wet weekend coming up. But we do have a bit of uncertainty with how the timing's working with this one and where we'll see those heavier totals. So we're going to have to see how that evolves and a bit of a wet watch this space. And even as we head into early next week with a surface low developing and lingering around the bike could make those showers continuing early next week. So it's going to be a little bit of an interesting period yeah. coming up after the heat. So just having a look at some of the rainfall that we are expecting possibly up until midnight Saturday, generally broadly across the state, one to five millimetres with the far with the northeast remaining dry. Could see some local totals of five to 15 millimetres, but could be seeing some higher totals, maybe up around 15 to 30 millimetres. At this stage, it looks like that's potentially around sort of the northeast, northwest pastoral districts, maybe pushing into the Flinders and northeast. But really, for those higher totals, it is going to be a bit of a watch this space, Selena. All right. Thanks for that, Jenny. Enjoy the rest of your day. No worries. Thank you. Jenny Horvat there from the Weather Bureau. Now, the forecast for the western inland parts of New South Wales for tomorrow, both upper western and lower western district looking at sunny days uh, with uh, east to northeasterly winds in the upper western district around 15 to 20 k's an hour. And then for the lower western district, south to southeasterly winds around 15 to 20 k's an hour. Overnight temperatures will be in the low to mid 20s for both districts and daytime temperatures for both also reaching between 40 and 44 degrees. Half past 12 here on the Country Hour. You're listening to the Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Selena Green. Selena Green. Good afternoon. Would you support an inquiry into allegations of price gouging by the major supermarket chains? Well, let me know your thoughts on this today. My talkback number, 1300 222 or text in 0467 922 If you're listening in via the ABC Listen app, don't forget there's a button, very handy button in the app where you can just dial or text straight in from the app. But there is some political toing and froing on this issue, which I'll cover off for you shortly, but keen to know your thoughts today. You also are going to hear about some of the impact on this of this on South Australia's horticulture industry and more on a push to encourage more farmers to report crime. Research is showing that about 42% of farmers don't report crimes and that's an actual stat that I use to say that yeah, when some diesel is missing or... Um, a bit of plant or machinery um, has gone missing, often they, they just don't report it to police and think, well, there's no chance of ever getting that back. Before all that, though, here's Matt Coleman with your headlines. Good afternoon, Matt. 
Hello, Selina. In the news this afternoon, the state government says it will step in if needed to make sure that the state's Water Corporation's latest business proposal is balancing the need to deliver essential services with keeping costs low for consumers. SA Water has submitted its next four-year plan to the state's Essential Services Commission for assessment with a draft determination due next month. Under the proposal, it's estimated that the average Adelaide household water bill would increase by $71 a year. The Racing Minister, Katrine Hilliard, says she'll make public comment about the findings of an independent Greyhound racing inquiry by the end of this month. The inquiry by former Victorian Police Commissioner Graham Ashton was sparked by an ABC report of apparent abuse in the industry. Miss Hilliard says she received a report from Mr Ashton on Thursday and is still considering his findings. And the Transport Workers Union says an overwhelming majority of members who are Virgin Airlines staff have voted in favour of taking industrial action if their demands for better working conditions are not met. The union's SA and NT branch senior official Justin Lewis says the airline was given a number of concessions in the last agreement due to it being made when the COVID pandemic was still affecting business. More news at one o'clock. Thank you, Matt. Now, South Australia grows a lot of produce and the horticulture industry, it's a big employer here in South Australia, but it is facing some big challenges. A lot of growers apparently are looking to get out and the industry says some of that is down to the wafer-thin margins that some farmers are experiencing while major supermarkets make major profits selling what they grow. Well, Today, the South Australian government has announced a $65,000 grant to develop a report that identifies some of the key challenges and opportunities for the horticulture industry. Ausveg SA has the job of producing that report. Its CEO is Jordan Brook Barnett, who joins me now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. The report that Ozveg will be pulling together, just give us an idea of uh, well, the purpose of it. Well, the genesis of this report was sort of coming out of COVID where, um, look, I noticed the industry was really, really struggling with a lot of issues, labour, cost of production, supermarket pricing. So in the lead up to the last election, you know, we put together obviously our election document with our list of asks. Um, and the state of the industry report was one of them. Um, and kindly Minister Scriven as part of the election committed to doing the report. But the, the basic purpose of it is to do some, some underlying economic analysis each year um, into some of the issues facing our growers. Um, you know, looking at both the economic contribution of our industry, things like job multipliers and these things, which hadn't really been quantified in the past. Um, but also the challenges facing our sector, because we've done industry work. There's an Oswich National Survey which showed um, that 30% of growers were looking at getting out of the industry. Um, you know, what's the investment environment like? What are current grower margins? You know, what are they receiving versus the supermarket? Which is all really topical information um, that we just didn't have as an industry. And we're seeing a lot of these issues playing out right now at the federal level where they're co- talking cost of living, sending inquiries into the supermarket practices. But um, all of our industry data showed that the farmers were getting very little and expected produce on very small margins and the supermarkets were taking a lot before they um, passed on those costs to the consumer. So yeah, we wanted to get a clear picture of that so that we could start advocating as an industry for fairer practices um, and have an understanding of the investment environment. Yeah, because that was to be my next question. Once you get all of this data back and get a really good um, comprehensive idea of the, the sort of state of play, what then would you hope to use this information to do? Uh, well, it's going to be a really important advocacy tool, and we're going to be spanning um, the, the produce that we cover every year. But you know, a bit like other industries like dairy, I think it, it's going to show a clear picture that 
um, you know, the growers are expected to produce at a, at a net rate between 1% and 5% if, if, if they're even making money at all, um, and that the supermarkets are charging many times that. So, look, we're going to use it as a means to rally the consumers and the public around fairer practices in our industry. So we think it's, it's really important. Um, and then the investment data is going to be really important for government to understand our industry because we've talked about major... Um, you know, investments we've got in our industry. I think the SA government's just spent $50 million in a new biosecurity facility in the north. We've got the Northern Adelaide Irrigation Scheme and other schemes. So understanding our industry and the contribution it makes to the um, local economy is going to be really important in attracting future investment, whether that's private dollar um, or public dollar in terms of infrastructure and, and these sorts of things. So I think that's part of the attraction from government. Um, yeah, we're really lucky in that this government's been really, really supportive of our industry. That is intensive horticulture. Um, so we want to use this as a as as to plant the flag for for future investment in our sector. From where it stands at the moment, just how big an industry is this here for South Australia? Um, yeah, it's, it's a very significant industry. So 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 putting aside all of horticulture, for vegetables alone, it's about a two million two billion dollar gross uh, industry per annum. Um, you know, a lot of our um, economic case studies show that for every job in our industry, uh, there's another 1.6 in, in the local community because our, our producers are big spenders in local economies. They're building houses for workers and you know, other linchpin of a lot of our regional economies. Um, and we employ about 15,000 people directly and indirectly throughout the state. So um, you know, a big economic contributor in areas like the southeast where we have a major processing industry, um, in Adelaide's north and in the Mallee where our, our potatoes are from. But as you say, it is an industry facing some big challenges. A lot of those challenges are emerging through the height of the pandemic. Those haven't necessarily eased in the years or months since? No, they haven't. So, look, look we're still feeling the effects in our industry as they are across the economy and that, you know, Australia... Um, you know, there's key aspects of the economy like transport, agriculture that are, are still trying to bridge the, the the shortfall of workers that we lost during the pandemic. Um, there's obviously the well-publicised costs in terms of things like fuel, fertiliser. Basically, you know, a lot of the pressure points of consumers are also felt within our industry. You know, we're big employers of people. Um, you know, we're, we're big investors in transport. Um, you know, cool room infrastructure, energy costs hit us, you know, particularly hard as an industry. So... We face those challenges, you know, many times more than a lot of other industries in, in the economy. And um, I think what we're seeing right now is that the arteries of Australia's economy, uh, you know, like agriculture, transport, um, you know, energy um, provision are, are really struggling at the moment. And I think consumers are seeing that as a checkout. Well, Jordan, thanks for joining us this afternoon and look, I look forward to chatting to you again uh, when this report is, is put together and delving a bit more into what it does find. Thank you. Jordan Brook Barrett, uh, Barnett, sorry, he is CEO of Ausveg SA. They're going to be producing this report in partnership with the University of Adelaide SA Centre for Economic Studies. It's 22 minutes to one. What's one of the largest dairy companies? In Australia, South Australia's best and global food company, it's announced the appointment of a corporate advisor and divested itself of its water and meat processing businesses to focus solely on dairy into the future. The details were outlined in an announcement to the Australian Stock Exchange this past week after another year in which the company has struggled to make profit. While it looks to further cut costs, this year Bestens has expanded its production of lactoferrin. It's a natural milk product that can be used in infant formula, cosmetics and things like dietary supplements. I spoke with Beston CEO Fabrizio George earlier and asked if it's been another tough year. 
We are where we expect it to be in terms of our strategy, in terms of milk flows. We've been very public with the last 12 months for us have been stable in terms of total milk collections. We landed F23 with about 152 million litres. You know, it's likely below where we wanted to be, but not, not too far, Selena. So uh, I think we have been able to stabilise our intake on a number of, of different initiatives, right, that uh, we put in place, such as the collaboration with other dairy processors. So in this recent announcement, Benson uh, mentions the appointment of a corporate advisor. What is their role going to be going forward? Yeah, look, uh, Selena, we, we are, again, we, this is a natural evolution uh, for us at Beston. Uh, we, the corporate advisors, is nothing but our proactive stance to seek assistance on, an, on a strategy development of the company. We are looking to multiple options, including potential strategic partnerships, alliances uh, with other processes, different uh, capital structures for the company, all of the above. So uh, we are just keen to, to explore different models for, for our company going forward. Now that we are a, a, a dedicated dairy operation, given that uh, we've announced the divestment of our small water business and also our, our meat operations in, in Victoria. So it, it is really about setting up a really good foundation for our future. Mm. So in divesting, though, those, as you say, water and meat processing businesses, Bestens is now solely focused on milk production? Correct. Solely focused in dairy. So you bring us up to date on what uh, has been achieved over the past 12 months, particularly around the, the uh, establishment of the, the lactoferrin uh, production system. Yeah, it's an exciting, right? We, we now have effectively three uh, extraction columns of lactoferrin, taking our capacity of extracting uh, lactoferrin up to about 20 to 22 tonnes a year. So it is a pretty important uh, development for us. Uh, our mozzarella production remains uh, absolutely world-class and, 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 and stable. Uh, we, we are committed again to, to an F24 number close to 16,000 tonnes. Uh, we are back into the retail as well, uh, front, Selena. So we, we, we've just launched in South Australia our new brand called Farmers Tribute, which is our very sincere effort to bring our award-winning cheese back into the households of South Australia. We have heard the feedback from several farmers that support us every day that they wanted to buy our product, they never could, but now they can under the Farmers Tribute, which is, again, exciting. You know, we've have heard a bit about uh, the influx of cheaper imports coming in from overseas uh, with farm yeah. gate prices here in Australia and, a, and a, a challenge around global milk supply, which is starting to look to rebuild, but obviously that is, it is a process. Is that something that Beston has, has factored in for the next 12 months? Certainly, Facilian, and I, and I have been personally quite, quite vocal about this uh, for effectively two reasons. One, if you follow a bit, or something that we don't talk enough, in my opinion, which is the evolution of the Chinese domestic milk production. To give you some data points, uh, China has added close to 8 to 9 billion litres of milk just over the last four or five years. Uh, which is, uh, as we both know, it's, it's, it's almost the equivalent of the national milk production in Australia. So what that means uh, into world market is that it does displace the New Zealand dairy exports, right? Uh, effectively meaning much, much more volume out of New Zealand 
reaching our shores. And, and we can see that on the statistics. Dairy imports into Australia have now reached close to about over $3 billion. Cheese alone, uh, I was looking to the statistics the other day, close to $1 billion of dairy imports uh, only on cheese. So it, it is quite concerning that uh, we, you know, our shores are receiving so much, let's say, um, cheap dairy. And in many ways, and I, and I, again, being very vocal about this across the industry, uh, a, a dairy product that is reaching below cost of production. We all know that even a New Zealand farmer cannot accommodate a milk price below uh, $8 to $7 a kilo milk solid. So it is uh, quite concerning what we are seeing in terms of total dairy imports into Australia. In that environment, how big a challenge is it then for a company like Bestens to get to the position of being a, a profit-turning business? We're committed into four strategic pillars, uh, which are really within our control. We are very, very clear about our cost reduction initiatives. So we are committed to at least $5 million of cost reductions annualised, which is really, really important for our future. These include initiatives such as a revision of our insurance costs, revision of our energy costs, and so forth. Secondly, really strong focus on uh, premiumization of our portfolio. Hence, the lactoferrin growth is really important for us. The, the return on retail as well, you, you see that our retail portfolio, it is super premium. Uh, we are offering uh, hard type of cheeses with a very nice maturation on it, which does attract uh, uh, an entertainment type of style cheese rather than the everyday cheese that we all used to. Thirdly, uh, we are really committed to going to a, a much broader play into the food services channel uh, using our, our capabilities in mozzarella. I think recognizing the growth of uh, food services in some core export markets, for example, we, we have always been clear about our strong relationship with the Thailand market and how much the tourism has continued to grow in Thailand and, and that continues to play a role in our portfolio. So many, many areas that will continue to premiumize our portfolio and reduce our costs. That's the things we can control to improve the profitability of the company. And now you've got the, the lactoferrin up and uh, processing. What are you expecting in terms of uh, demand from that? And, and where is that coming from, demand for that particular product? The beauty of lactoferrin at this stage, uh, Selena, is that uh, we, we're starting to see multiple other categories now discovering the benefits of, of immunity uh, that lactoferrin brings to their products. I'll give an example. We have clients now in places like South Korea, uh, in places like Europe, that are using our products to even to personal care type of uh, applications. Products such as toothpaste, hair care, skin care, and obviously this complements really nicely the application going to infant formula that remains our number one type of a customer base. We have also developed for our lactoferring business long-term agreements uh, of offtake, which is really exciting. The fact that you know, allows us to have confidence on the demand of our product for the entire season. So multiple areas that makes us, let's say, much more bullish about the future of lactoferrin. That is the CEO of South Australian-based Best and Global Food Company, Fabrizio George. And that takes us to 13 minutes to one. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. 
Yeah, well, let's talk about the potential for an inquiry into the prices you're paying for produce at the supermarket. Well, the federal nationals have rejected a call from the Greens for a Senate inquiry into allegations of price gouging by the major chains. Instead, they are repeating calls for an inquiry by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Leader of the Nationals, David Littleproud, says an ACCC investigation would have more powers than a Senate inquiry. I don't believe that politicians should be doing this. I think the ACCC should be doing it. They're equipped uh, to be able to look into this and to be able then to give advice about what needs to happen. We've been calling for a price monitoring inquiry, particularly since we saw such a big reduction, a 60% reduction in cattle and sheep prices, yet only an 8% in meat prices at the supermarket. You look at horticulture, uh, they're paying about a dollar a kilogram to our watermelon growers, but yet they're retailing them for three to four. You know, you don't need to process a watermelon, you throw it in the back of a truck and it ends up on a shelf. So these supermarkets have form. They did this over during COVID, the ACCC former uh, chair made that very clear that those big profits that they made was at the expense of the consumer and supplier and so it's important now that we call them out as quickly as we can. This this, uh, ACCC inquiry could actually compel the CEOs to turn up. The Senate inquiry doesn't compel the CEOs to turn up and give evidence. That's why it's important you use the right mechanism. The government's doing a broader review of competition policy and the nationals have made it very clear both publicly and privately, I've said to the competition minister that we would support divestiture power so that if the supermarkets did the wrong thing, uh, they could lose Dan Murphy's or a BWS uh, as part of their chains. There should be proper penalties, not $64,000 as it is now under the Grocery Code of Conduct. It, it should start at $10 million and ramp up. There should be a cheap independent arbiter for suppliers uh, to be able to come forward and show that they've been mistreated in the consumer law reforms. But the cost of living crisis is here and now, and that's why we're saying that this short, sharp price monitoring inquiry on perishable goods, particularly meat and vegetables, um, would be able to have some action now and could have had action before Christmas had the government acted sooner. What do you hear from farmers about the gap between what they get paid and between what supermarkets are charging for what they produce? Well, the supermarkets are having a end of them. And, and look, farmers have been price takers and we all understand that. But when they're not getting, uh, the market is, is not giving them uh, the prices that they're seeing at the, at the supermarket, when there's such a significant disparity between the two, we get that there's extra costs of energy and fuel at the moment, but not that significant that you are seeing. And particularly when you think about the cattle job, you know, the, the grass fed should have come off straight away when the prices fell in June. I, I get the grain fed takes about 90 days and a bit over for it to work its way through feedlots and processes. But these prices fell in June and yet the supermarkets were still charging $35 a kilogram uh, for steak. So this is where something has to happen and anyone can see it. You just need to have an ACCC that, that's directed by the government to get on with the job and go after them. There are accusations floating around against this government that it, it's out of touch with those concerns of everyday people and particularly those those cost of living and price of groceries concerns. So an ACCC inquiry would be a good move, wouldn't it, to address those accusations? Well, well that's why it's better than politicians looking at it. Having a Senate inquiry just has senators running around asking questions uh, of anyone that they can invite to turn up. An ACCC price monitoring inquiry has the power to compel CEOs from supermarkets to turn up and give evidence and to get under 
the bonnet of their pricing uh, mechanisms. And that's that's what they're, they're actually, their profession is. Politi- they're better equipped to do this than politicians. It's not illegal, though, is it, for the big supermarkets to, to bump up prices and bump up their, their profit margins as long as the, the two big supermarkets aren't colluding? Well, and, and this is the this is the challenge that we've got is that yes, that they're entitled to to put whatever mark up they want, but this is where when you've got such a concentration, a concentration of market power between effectively two and a half big supermarkets, uh, with the big German being the third, you know, this is this is where governments need to understand the importance of, of their role in marketplaces where there is an imbalance. That is the time that a government should should inject itself into the marketplace. And there is a market imbalance. ACCC's even said that there's a market imbalance in that these these supermarkets have too much of the share and therefore uh, they're deriding the prices, not necessarily directly through collusion, but just by the sheer, sheer volume of, of their share. So that's where you need to make hard decisions as government, particularly on a product that is a staple for our survival. So, uh, you know, I think there's some compelling reasons for us to start to get very tough on, on the supermarkets and make sure that while we want them to make a profit, there has to be a, a, a conscionable pro- uh, profit that is justifiable on a staple product that, that underpins our own survival. That was the leader of the Nationals, David Littleproud, and he was speaking there to Angus Verley. A couple of texts that have come in on this subject today. John's in Kimber. His text says, uh, price gouging at its best, sheep making bugger all. Uh, he said that uh, big companies have at least dropped. I'm not sure there's some words there, John, but he's uh, saying loin chops are $42 a kilo. Shop local, they say fair go, says John on his text. Hello to Kath as well on the text line. Her text simply says, heck yes, inquiry into the two major supermarkets is long overdue. And they've hopped on that text line, which is 0467 922 Well, finally today, let's look at thefts on farms because they often go unreported. Crime Stoppers SA is hoping for that to change as part of a new campaign they've just launched. Crime Stoppers is encouraging anyone who sees suspicious activity on farms or rural properties to report it. And they'll be holding some information sessions and providing signage for people on rural properties. The campaign is kicking off in the southeast, but it will be rolled out to all regions. Crime Stoppers SA Chief Executive Nigel Smart says farmers need to start reporting criminal activity and you can do it anonymously. It's a little bit like sometimes they, they think it's like the cost of doing business. Research is showing that about 42% of farmers don't report crimes, and that's an actual uh, a stat that I use across South Australia to say that you know, when some diesel is missing or um, a bit of plant or machinery um, has gone missing, often they, they just don't report it to police and think, well, there's no chance of ever getting that back. What we're trying to encourage in the southeast is we're going to put a campaign, advertising, and make people aware that if they do know something about criminal activity uh, that's occurring, that could be theft of diesel, um, know people that are um, trying to sell machinery or just doing the wrong thing, then there is a way to report that anonymously and not get involved at all. They don't have to go to court. They don't have to be a witness. They don't have to make a statement to police. It's totally anonymous. They can just give the information to Crime Stoppers and We'll work with uh, Staple down in the southeast to to use that intelligence to try and solve some of these crimes. And, and farm crime is occurring across the state. Don't get me wrong; it's not just in the southeast. It occurs in Eyre Peninsula and it occurs um, uh, York Peninsula, uh, the Murray Valley, 
We're launching the farm crime. We've got 3,500 farm gate signs being distributed to the southeast where farmers are for free. The farmers can pick up some farm gate signs to, uh, to warn perpetrators that the farms are under, under watch by crime stoppers. And we're hoping that that will act as a deterrent. Plus, look, this campaign will bring intelligence in. We're hoping to have some good results. Have you often gotten tips from rural properties in the past? Oh, for sure. Rural communities are, are very tight, but at the same time, they kind of know what's going on and they also can know when people are up to no good. Often, they may not have the intelligence, but meaning they may not know exactly who's doing the wrong thing, but they kind of can infer and give information to police that might be very helpful to a case. So it might be a, a car that's been driving in around certain sites, the make and model of that car, all that information can help police put together a, a, a range of clues to solve crimes. So, look, any information is good information. We don't solve all the crimes, but certainly anonymous information allows people to report, even those people that are involved in the criminal activity themselves, they may report the crime, and often we find that the intelligence comes from people that are closely linked with the criminals that are actually doing the crime. So what kind of things can farmers do to make themselves a smaller target or stop the crimes from happening in the first place? Well, I think um, there's some really basic information like, look, certainly have signage. Um, If you can install some CCTV, some deterrents around the farm, the locking of, of gates and entry points along the farm and around sheds and entry points, and if people want to find out more information about the campaign or find ways to get signage, where should they be going? Just go to crimestoppersa.com.au. Uh, you can go to our, our website. There's information on there. We will be down in the southeast. We'll be running some events and some information sessions down in the southeast. Uh, dates to be confirmed. And look, uh, we'll be certainly advertising digitally and in the local media from time to time in the southeast as well with the further information. So the campaign, hopefully, most people in the southeast will see elements of that campaign and will hope to get some good intelligence in on crimes in the southeast. That is Crime Stoppers SA Chief Executive Nigel Smart, and he was speaking there to Elsie Adamo. So that website again for those interested in finding out more about the campaign. As you heard, it will kick off in the southeast, but it is going to roll out right across regional South Australia. That website was crimestoppersa.com.au. Crimestoppersa.com.au, or just put Crimestoppers SA into your search engine. Get ready for great new ABC Entertainment in 2024. Maggie Beer is warming hearts with a brand new series. It's music to our ears. There's new seasons of Ladies in Black, The Newsreader and Grand Design's Transformations. How incredibly intriguing. And a new litter of cute puppies get to work in all new Muster Dogs. You look after me and I'll look after you. Can't wait for 2024. It's going to be huge. On ABC TV and ABC iView. Now, don't forget, if you have the ABC Listen app uh, downloaded onto your smartphone or your tablet, if you've missed anything on the country and you'd like to go back and have a re-listen, you can hop on the ABC Listen app on our website. uh, And while you're in the ABC Listen app, you can have a dig around and find some great ABC audio content as well. Or just pop SA Country out into your search engine. Uh, And while you're having a dig around on the internet, head to abc.net.au forward slash rural 
some great stories on there as well for you to have a look at. And one I just found, uh, a really great one about a shearer over in the southwest of Victoria who over the weekend managed to shear his way through 830 lambs in one day for a Movember fundraiser. Apparently, he couldn't grow a mo. So instead, he decided it was easier to uh, to shear his way through 830 lambs in one day. I'm sure his back and arms were very, very sore after that. But he's raised thousands of dollars. And you can go and read his story on that website right now, as well as lots of other great stories that the uh, ABC's rural team has put together for you. So it's abc.net.au forward slash rural. That's it for me for today. Thank you so much for your company. I'm going to send you to the one o'clock news. And that's coming up to you right now. When you're out and about, remember to take ABC Radio in your pocket. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, you won't miss a moment of ABC Radio with the free ABC Listen app. Download it to your phone today. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.